Man, we're glad you're here this morning. I want to invite you to turn. Let's go right into Romans 8. Uh, That's where we are. If you're new with us, we've been in this series now. This is our eighth week. I've said already, it's crazy how fast this year has gone. And we started this series uh, when we launched our, our ministries back in, uh, in September. And it's amazing to see where already we are in Romans chapter 8 and finding ourselves this morning specifically in verses 29 and 30. And if you are new with us, we've been in this Romans chapter 8 going verse by verse in this series that we have entitled Champion just reminding ourselves, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, who've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that because Jesus Christ is our champion, because he defeated our spiritual death and hell, what our fate of our sin deserved, because he is our champion, we also can live lives as champions in Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at that and who we are and what we've been given as we've walked through Romans chapter 8, and, and uh, we'll wrap up this series in a couple weeks, and when that series is wrapped up, we'll put the boxing gloves away, um, but... You know, as we've been looking at this series, and even as I've been evaluating my own life in this series of Romans chapter 8, I've mentioned this before, but we've talked about how life can often feel like a boxing match, right? We've mentioned how life can feel that way, and how even the Apostle Paul mentions and describes life as a fight, as a battle. And if we think of Life is a boxing match. Think of our own lives. And when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and for some of us that was when we were a child, and so maybe this doesn't describe you as well as those of you who placed your faith and trust in Christ as adult, though that doesn't matter when you do that. But think of if you're here this morning and you think about when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as an adult, and you think about how exciting that was and, and the way that you approached life and what you saw. And, and if life is indeed compared to a boxing match, it's almost as though when we start that boxing match in our life with Jesus Christ, we often start out great, don't we? And we feel like we're winning those first few rounds and we're seeing God do amazing things and God's word is alive and, and, and we see the world in a new and different way. But if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, you know this. There comes that round. When you get hit with a blow that shakes you at your core. And when that happens in your life through doubt or fear or circumstances, when that happens, you are just excited to hear the proverbial bell and you go back to your corner and you gather yourself and then you go out again and then you find maybe again, man, you get hit with another blow and it shakes you at your core again. And how many of us have felt that way and maybe even feeling that way right now. Started out well, but right now, Your match feels like an endurance mission at best. Start out with confidence, hope, positive expectations. But now you're full of questions, doubts, and fears. And life can feel like you're defeated. Like that's what you may be feeling right now. That in the midst of starting out well, in the midst of experiencing victories, you've been hit with a few blows that have taken 
you off guard and it's rattled you at your core. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, you would say, man, life right now does not feel like I'm winning. It feels like I'm losing. And have you ever watched a boxing match? Ever watch one? And I think most of us have. We've, most of us have watched the boxing match. And you notice that in between the rounds, what is the boxing manager doing? The boxing manager has that fighter in the corner, and that boxing manager is telling him, remember what we've worked on. Remember who you are. Remember how you've prepared. Remember how you've trained. You see that? How that boxing manager does that reminds them of how they got there. Reminds them of how they prepared to handle the ebbs and flows of a fight. It may even look like this. You see? You see? He's not a machine. He's a man. One and more than he does. No pain. 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 Okay, take it to us. No We're stopping now. We're stopping. We don't stop. All your strength. So I don't know about you, but like when I was even watching that yesterday, like it got me like all ready to go do something, right? Like I remember Lori was even going to exercise on the treadmill and I was working on that, what would I would cut? And she's like, hey, play that for me before I go out on the treadmill. And we joke about that. But what we've already seen in Romans 8 is that that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. And in Romans 8, 29 and 30, that's what we're going to see this morning. This, what we're going to look at in just two verses, is what the Holy Spirit in your proverbial corner When you feel like you can't fight anymore, when you feel like you've been hit with a blow that's shaken you at your core, when you're now consumed with doubts and fears and the circumstances of life and it's taken you off guard, what the Holy Spirit wants to shout in your ears is what we're going to look at this morning. It's almost before we even read it that the Holy Spirit, picture this with me, being that proverbial boxing manager that God has given us to be our helper as we've looked at in verses 26 and 27, that he literally is cupping our face in, it, he's cupping our face in his hands and he's saying, I want you to remember this. Before you go back out there again, I want you to remember who you are. That's what God wants you to hear today. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what we're going to read this morning, God wants you to hear today because he wants you to understand, and this is the title of the message this morning, God loves you. Say that with me. God loves you. Make it more personal. God loves me. And that's what the Holy Spirit through Paul wants his readers as he's writing to the church at Rome and as we read it this morning, what he wants us to understand. So look at Romans 8. We're actually going to start in verse 28, which we covered last week because it ties into verses 29 and 30. Look at verse 28. If you're there, say you're there. It says, and we know, we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. For or because, like, this is why we can know this morning and have certainty and security in knowing that all things work together for the good. Remember what we talked about last week? That the what we know, the certainty of what we know, gives us confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what we don't know. So the reason why I can know that all things work together for the good For those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, is because of verses 29 and 30. So literally for or because, here's why we can know that. Those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Would you just pray with me real quick? As we dive into this passage of scripture and remind ourselves of how much God loves us. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity that we have already had through music to remind ourselves of how much you love us, that you are good. And God, I pray that you would allow our hearts to be ready to see what your word has. Lord, we have a promise. We know That when we open up your word, your mouth is open. So God, it's not praying that you will speak because that's what your word does. But God, it's praying that we would be ready and willing and submissive to receive what you have for us today and apply it to our lives. So Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? Lord, for that person that's here this morning that's never placed their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior, God, would you open up their eyes today to realize how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I read these two verses, you know, depending on your background, they can appear intimidating, right? Appear intimidating. But like I said in what I titled the message this morning, what God is wanting us to be reminded of right now, here today, in this moment, when we walk out of those doors, tomorrow when we go to work, is that God loves you. He's literally, as I read these verses, it's this idea, I want you to know how much I love you, how much I loved you in the past, and what my love will do for you in the future, so you will trust my love in the present. That's what I see when I look at these verses. So here's what I want you to understand today. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. As we look at these two verses in Romans 8, 29, and 30, it's this idea that my greatest security in life is knowing that I am loved by God. That your greatest security in life is knowing that you are loved by God. That if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that what you can know before you walk out of these doors and what you can place your faith in, and not the good that you've done, but in what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you can know that the greatest security that you can have in life is knowing, believing, trusting that you're loved by God. You know, when we looked at Romans 8, 28, you know, it's one thing to believe that God's plan cannot fail. 
when we look at Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good. Not that all things are good, but God takes them and he works them for the good as we looked last week. And yes, it's one thing to believe, to know, to understand, to be reminded that God's plan cannot fail. But what I love and what the Holy Spirit does through Paul to give substance and weight to that promise is he says, yes, God's plans will always work out for our good, but it's even deeper than that. It's understanding that you, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are God's plan. But isn't that 2 Corinthians 5, I don't have time to turn there, but in 17 through 20, that God's plan for me and you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that we would be representatives of the gospel message. We would be ambassadors. So it's me understanding not just that God has a plan for my life, but that God looks at me and says, you're part of the plan. You are my plan. What I want to do in you And there's not a more clearer, concise description of how salvation works from God's point of view than verses 29 and 30. Remember how we looked at verses 28 and we said, man, you see two sides of the coin. You see salvation from our point of view, man's point of view, the human's point of view. And then he goes to the end and he says, but those who are called according to his purpose. Then he flips it and says, I also want you to see salvation from God's point of view. And what we're going to look at in verses 29 and 30 is salvation from God's point of view. Like how God views it. In the best way that we can take an infinite God's mind and purposes and try to understand it in our finite minds, verses 29 and 30 is salvation from God's perspective. Because here's the thing. If I take and think solely about my salvation as the decision that I made, So for me, it was some 36 years ago when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a boy. And in the simplest way, because the gospel is simple, I understood that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sin. And I put my faith and trust in that. And if I solely look at my salvation based on the choice that I made, and you today, whether that was last week, whether that was yesterday, or whether that was 40 years ago, If I look at my salvation solely based on the choice that I made, here's the danger in that. Because as I encounter fears in my life, as I encounter disappointments in my life, as I encounter discouragement in my life, as I encounter tragedy in my life, as I encounter those things, and if you haven't experienced them already, then you must have just been born, we've all experienced them. And then I look at Romans 8, 28, and I say, well, God tells me that I can know that all things work together for good. But God, I'm not sure right now. If I look at my salvation, which is supposed to be the certainty and security that allows me to trust in what he says in verse 8, 28 of Romans, and I'm solely looking at my salvation and the security and the certainty of it based on my choice, here's what happens. As the weight begins to pile up of my fears, of my disappointments, of my discouragements, of tragedies, of what God has sovereignly removed from my life that has me 
just grieving right now. Here's what happens. The chain, looking at it from my perspective that God, my salvation, I'm looking at it solely based on what I've decided. It can't hold. It's not going to give you the security that you need. But what God is wanting to do through the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul is he's wanting to say, I want you to see these words of how salvation works from my point of view. Do you see them there? Those words, foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That when you look at those words, I don't know if you're, if you're super on the ball this morning because you got an extra hour of sleep, and you look and you're like, you know what's interesting about those words? They're all in the past tense. He foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. They're all in the past tense. And not only are they all in the past tense, but they're all described as not what I've done, but what God has done. Because what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do through Paul as the readers read this and as we read it some 2,000 years later today and we're wanting to have security and we're wanting to have certainty and knowing that all things work together for the good and we're wanting to have certainty and we're wanting to have security that I am a champion in Jesus Christ that even though I've been knocked down that I can get up, that I am victorious, that I approach life from victory. That what God is saying is I want you to see salvation from my point of view. Not that it negates your part, but I want you to see it from my point of view. I want you to see how strong my chain is. That as heavy as that load may get in life, that as heavy as those fears and those circumstances and that tragedy may be, it my salvation and what I've accomplished from you from beginning of time can hold Every weight, and it will never break because your salvation wasn't just based on your choice, but it was also based on what I determined before time. That gives you and me certainty and security in the boxing match of life. So, would you look at this morning? What I want to do this morning is just walk through as quickly as I can and answer this question How much does God love you? How much does God love me? And look at what it says when we start out in verse 29. That the reason why I can know that all things work together for the good is because those whom God foreknew. How much does God love you? Here's the first thing. He chose you. He chose me. That word foreknowledge is an interesting word. It it literally, literally means to know in advance. But the word actually means more than that. It's not just knowing everyone. We know that God is omniscient, that God knows all things, therefore he knows everyone. But that word is actually speaking to the caring, the watching over with a special kind of love. Think about to what God said about the children of Israel. In Amos 3, 2, it says to Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. So God's not saying, you're the only people that I know in the sense of knowing everything. No, no, no. You are the people that I have chosen to have a special kind of relationship with. You ready to walk out a little smarter 
this morning? Say yes. All right, listen to this. So when you're trying to understand, we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and look at what prep looks like in the office for a message. We know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And one of the ways that you can better understand words in the Old Testament or the New with the Old Testament is to look at how a Greek word was used to describe an Old Testament word. So obviously in Amos, that word no is not the same as the word no in Romans 8 because one was written in Hebrew, one was written in Greek. But when you look at this book called the Septuagint, it's a big word, right? The Septuagint, which all it was, was an Old Testament translation written in Greek. It was finished approximately 132 B.C. And the Septuagint was translated from Hebrew because there was a Jewish community living in Alexandria, Egypt. And every one of them spoke Greek. And so the Pharaoh, Ptolemy II, commissioned this work by a group of Hebrew translators. That's what Septuagint means, is 70. And commissioned these translators to take the Old Testament that they had into translated into Greek. And the reason why I say that is, is when you look at the way, what they did, what those Hebrews translators did with that word no in Amos 3.2, it's the same word that we find in Romans 8.29. Look at the person next and say, I feel way smarter. Yeah. And the only reason I tell you that is to say it gives substance to the idea that when I understand, man, how much does God love me? He chose me. That's what that word means. He foreknew. And it wasn't just that he knows all of his creation, though he does, but there's this special relationship with the people that he has chosen because one of the best ways that God can describe his love for you is that he knows you. Like not knows you, but knows you, has a relationship with you. There's that predetermined love relationship that comes out of that word. Think about Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now here's what this verse does not mean. Here's what this word does not mean. It doesn't mean that God looked into the corridors of time and said, because I knew that Johnny was going to choose me, therefore I choose him. Here's why that starts to break down. Because if that's the God that we serve, then God's a reactive God, not a proactive God. And I don't know about you, but I see everywhere in the Bible where I don't see God as a reactive God up there before all time began saying, man, I sure hope as I look down the corridors of time that Johnny sure chooses me. That's not the God that we serve. We don't see that from this word for no, and we don't see that other places in Scripture. And here's the beauty of that. Here's what makes that chain strong when I understand that he chose me, is that tells me, you know what? God wasn't stuck with you. And God wasn't stuck with me. It's not like junior high and you're picking teams and you're like, well, I guess we'll have to have that guy. Guess we'll have to have that girl. No, no, no. God's a proactive God. God's the initiator. 
that nothing takes God by surprise. He's not up there waiting for me to make a decision. He made the decision. He chose me. It's what makes that chain strong to be able to bear the weight of what I go through in life is knowing, man, the certainty and security of my salvation. Though, yes, I had a part of it. I had to call out to God and ask forgiveness of my sins. But at the same time, God began that work before all of time. He chose me. You see that in 1 John 4, 19, right? Listen to this. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. God made, listen to me, God made the first move towards you. Isn't that awesome? That God made the first move towards you. You know why? Because I couldn't. Because you couldn't. I mean, that's Romans 3.11. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. Paul's quoting Psalm 43 and 53, verses 1 through 3. Let me illustrate it this way. And unfortunately, when you're trying to take an infinite concept of God and describe it into finite terms, the illustration is going to break down. But stick with me on this. When I... Think about that God is the initiator of my salvation, that he was proactive, not reactive, that he, he chose me. He didn't say, well, I'm going to choose you because I know you're going to choose me. I always think back, and I was thinking about it this week when I was studying, of when Lori and I first ever went out on a date. College, 1997. Yeah, some of you whistled. There's people older in this room than me. Come on. And I remember, I remember I was on, I was on a, a, a soccer field, and I remember seeing her way off, and I'd seen her previously, and I remember saying to my college roommates, man, who's she? I'd like to date her. And I remember, okay, I knew where she was going to be, and so I saw her across the field, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go ask her out. So in the process of walking across the field to come towards her, something happened. Her ex-boyfriend came up and started talking to her. Well, I had already made the walk. So I wasn't about to turn around. So you know what I did? I waited till he was done, and I asked her out right in front of him. That right there made me go from here to here. In Lori's mind, why? Because I was like, man, I'm not going to be reactive. I'm going to be proactive. And nothing's going to get in my way of that. And what I demonstrated by that was, is let me show you how much I have affection for you. Is I'm going to be the initiator of this date. Now, when as finite as that is, when I look at that word for no... And what the Holy Spirit wants to understand this morning, and the point of this is that God initiated your relationship with him. He wasn't stuck with you. He chose us before the foundations of the world. He chose us. Here's the second thing. How much does God love you? Not just did he choose you, but God also gave you a destiny. I mean, look at what he says. Just for those who deem 
foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's that word predestination, and like if you've been in church for any length of time, that word just scares you and you want to run to the doors. Don't let it scare you. Because remember, the reason why Paul is sharing these two verses is he's getting at the certainty and security of our salvation and what it can hold and what it can endure, not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. Don't forget that. Because that word predestination means this. It's a sovereign determination that's decreed. And so when I look at that word, i got to ask myself, so what did God predestine me to? If he chose me, then he gave me a destiny. It's the idea there of predestination. So what did, what does my destiny involve? And do you see it there? Do you see it? Look at verse, end of verse 29. He also predestined to be what? Say it with me. To be conformed to the image of his son. Say that again. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what Paul is getting at. And to be conformed to the image of his son, to be made more like Jesus is what that means. That is my ultimate good. So when I read Romans 8, 28, and Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good, the good ultimately is, is that nothing is going to stop Jesus from making me more like himself. That nothing is going to stop that work of the Holy Spirit for me to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. That nothing's going to stop me from understanding what I've been given and who I have in Jesus Christ. That there's a certainty in that. That that's my destiny. And nothing can mess with that destiny. Because how much does God love me? He chose me. And he chose me because he wanted to give me a destiny. And that destiny was, is that for me to grow and become more like Christ in this earth. And one day, as we'll get to in a few minutes, where I will be with him forever. Is that not what we've looked at up to this point? Can we walk, take a walk down memory lane? Like, let's think about what he, God has already communicated through Romans 8 of what he'll complete in every sinner who trusts in Christ. Think about Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And for every follower of Jesus Christ, that's your destiny. No more condemnation. That God's spirit dwells in, inside every believer That I have the Holy Spirit today to help me fulfill the destiny that God has given me. That I'm an adopted child of God. That God didn't choose me in my best scenario. God chose me at my worst and he paid the price for that. He adopted me. That I'm an heir. That I've got an inheritance, man. That's awaiting me for all of eternity. You know what? That just... That's used to give substance and certainty that I've been called to a destiny. And it's not solely resting on me. That I have the Holy Spirit who helps me in my weaknesses when I don't even know what to do or what to pray that we looked at. 
I mean, all of that is summed up in knowing how much does God love you? The reason why the greatest security that I can have in life is knowing that I'm loved by God is because God's given me a destiny and nothing's going to get in the way of that because God's the one who's done the work and God's not done with me yet and God's not done with you yet. And then he mentions that phrase, look at the end of verse 29, he says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that he is Jesus. That not only is God doing a work in me through the Holy Spirit, in the midst of that fight, in the midst of getting knocked by a blow, in the midst of feeling like I don't have the strength up to get up, that in those times, as the Holy Spirit gets me in that corner and he takes my face in his hands and he whispers to me, wait a minute, I want to remind you of who you are in Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that you're not fighting from a place of being a victim, but you're fighting from a place of victory. I want to remind you who you are. I want to remind you how much you're loved by God. I want to remind you that you're chosen by God. I want to remind you that you have a destiny and that's already secure. You're not going to lose this fight. There's another purpose to my destiny, and that is that what it does is it magnifies what Jesus Christ has done for me. I mean, that's what it's saying, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And that term firstborn in the Jewish culture, the firstborn had a place of preeminence, first place in his family. And so what Paul is saying here is that God's plan in his redemption, his forgiveness, his salvation for you is not just that we become more like Christ, but in the midst of that, we will continue to grow and understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. And now and for all of eternity, we will praise him for what he has done for us. We will praise him that Jesus Christ is our champion. And we will praise him that because Jesus Christ is our champion, that I can live the life of a champion today and for all of eternity. That is what we are predestined for. I remember when I first, when Lori and I first moved here, it was right at the end of December, beginning of January. And some people of the church said, hey, we want you to come with us to this Brazilian steakhouse in Greensboro. And I had never been to a Brazilian steakhouse before. But I heard there was meat, so I was game to try. So I remember sitting at this long table, and they had this, like, cardboard circle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And on one side, it was green, and on the other side, it was red. And as long as you kept that thing on green, whew, that was a good day. Because they just keep on bringing out more meat and cutting it as long as you kept that thing on green. I remember sometimes I forgot to flip it over and the guy's like at my spot and I haven't even finished my meat, but that's a great problem to have, is it not? And I remember, and then when you wanted them to stop and you flipped it over on the red side and they would stop and then when you were ready to do some more damage, you'd flip it back over to green. That was one of the most glorious experiences in my life up to this point in Winston-Salem. So those of you who invited us, thank you. And I'm more than ready to do that ever again when you're ready. 
And I thought about this passage of Scripture. And it's almost like today we're sitting there at a table. And God has the table set. And we all come and we sit at that table with this question. Does God love me? Maybe this one, I can't go on anymore. I've been hit too hard and I don't want to get up again. And we've all come to that table this morning with different questions as we sit down at that table. And it's almost as if the host comes out and says that this dinner we have a purpose. And it's this. We're going to answer the question, how much does God love you? And so we open up our Bibles in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. And the Holy Spirit tells us this morning, here's the first course. This is how much God loves you. He chose you. He was the initiator of your salvation. He wasn't stuck with you. You weren't the last one to be picked. God chose you. And we're like, man, we just sit and ponder that. I mean, think about how special that makes me feel. I mean, think about how loved that makes me feel. I'm chewing on that. And then all of a sudden, the host comes out and says, no, 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 that's not the only course. I want you also to understand, secondly, here's what the Holy Spirit is bringing out, that God predestined you. He gave you a destiny. And nothing can get in the way of that destiny. Not any sin that you commit because God has given you that destiny and that destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son. So in the midst of that fear that you sat at the table with, that in the midst of those disappointments that you sat at the table with, that in the midst of that discouragement that you sat at the table with, that in the midst of those doubts that you sat at the table with, what I want you to chew on is those things are not greater than the destiny that God has given you. And you're like, man, that's enough to chew on. But the host is coming out and he's saying, no, 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 we got more. We got more. Now, we don't stop there, though. We could stop there in and of itself and say, man, that's how much God loves me, and I can't even fully understand that. There's more. There's more. Say that to the person next to you. There's more. There's more. Here's the more. Not only does he say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But then he says in verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Here's the third thing that I see in here to answer that question. Man, how much does God love you today? How much does God want to love you today? He chose you. He gave you a destiny. Here's the third thing. He called you and me out of spiritual darkness. Because when you look at the Bible, there's really two different types of calling. There's this general call, right? There's an open invitation to all persons to repent of sin, to believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you and me through his life, death, and resurrection, right? We see that in John 7, 37. Listen to this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 2 Peter 3, 9. God's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, But that's not what this call is talking about. It's not a general call that that call is there. It's it's this idea, this effectual call 
that not only issues an invitation, that not only tells you how much God loves you, that as you sit here today and you may be here and never place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're saying to yourself, man, there's someone that loves me that much, it's more than just an invitation. It's providing the ability and the willingness to respond positively. Because here's the problem, and I've already said this, in and of ourselves, we can't do that. Romans 3.11 says that. No one understands God. No one searches out after him. Ephesians 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you remember that illustration about Lori and I dating? I think there's a picture of us that was actually at that soccer field. I already hear you about the hair thing. I already hear it. See, here's where the illustration breaks down. Here's what I know. In no way am I so irresistible that Lori could not have said no. I know that about myself. I'm that self-aware at least. And yes, though I was the initiator of it, she still had the power and very well I took a major risk that I could have looked like an idiot standing there in front of her ex-boyfriend asking her out and then the fear of rejection of being rejected not only by her but also in front of her ex-boyfriend. See she had the power to say yes or no but I'm dead in my trespasses and sins and I don't know about you And I don't mean to be crude or insensitive about this at all, so please don't misunderstand me. But I've never encountered someone who has been dead physically and talking back to me. Once you're dead, you're dead. And the beauty about this, though it's hard for us to completely reason in our finite minds, is not only did God choose me and not only did God give me a destiny but he followed through with that and calling me out of spiritual darkness and waking up my soul and opening up my eyes when I couldn't open them to realize how much God loves me that's Ephesians 2 we were dead in our trespasses and sins verse 4 my favorite verse in all that chapter but God made us alive I mean, that's honestly, like when we look at this, that has a lot to do with the story of Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus in John 11? Where Lazarus dies and Jesus wasn't there and Mary and Martha, his sisters, are a little upset at Jesus because they knew who Jesus was. They knew he had the power to heal Lazarus. They've seen him heal so many people. Why aren't you there to heal our brother? And Lazarus is in that grave, and Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus dies. And can you imagine if the people there, Mary and Martha, even his disciples, were out there and they were saying, Lazarus, come on, Lazarus. We know you would want to see Jesus one more time. We know you'd want to spend some more time with family. We know if you had it, you, you, 
you would get yourself up out of that grave, but they could have sat there and yelled at that tomb all day long, every day. You know what never would have happened? Lazarus never would have gotten out. Why? Because he was dead. He was dead. Some of you know the story. Jesus shows up on the scene. And when Jesus stands in front of the tomb, all of a sudden the stakes are completely different. Because Jesus says to that tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And we don't see anywhere in John 11 where Lazarus is like, I don't know, I kind of like the tomb. No, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happens? Lazarus comes forth. And that's exactly what Jesus does for you and for me when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do I have a free will? Absolutely I do. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. And what Paul is doing, and I'm saying this so you'll remember this, is he's looking at salvation in this text from God's point of view. And he's saying, you want to know how secure your salvation is this morning? You want to know the weight that it can carry and never be broken? Here's how I can know I can be in that figurative boxing ring, and even though I take a blow, I can know that I've already won in Jesus Christ, and he's going to work all things together for the good. The reason why I know that is because I'm reminded of my salvation from God's point of view. It's not just solely that I chose him. No, no, no. I chose him because he first chose me. I love him because he first loved me. He gave me a destiny. I love him because he first loved me. He called me out of spiritual darkness. And here's the fourth thing. Say there's more. God forgave every one of your sins. Aren't you thankful for that? Every one of them. The ones you haven't even committed yet. God has forgiven every one of your sins because it says, in the second part of verse 30, those... Whom he called, he also justified. Like he didn't love you enough just to choose you. He didn't love you enough just to give you a destiny. He didn't love you enough and just to call you out of darkness. But the Holy Spirit, that host at this figurative dinner table that we're eating at is saying, here's what else I want you to know. Though you think that you are so full, man, here's what you need to know. Here's the fourth course. He forgave every one of your sins. Because if I'm not justified, there's no way that I could have been chosen, could have been given a destiny, and could have been called out of spiritual darkness. I had and you have to be justified. That word justified literally means to declare one innocent. It's a judicial term. It has the idea that God has declared sinful men and women who place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they are in right standing before him. And it's not on the basis of what you've done. It's on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. He's paid your price. He came in your place. You are justified if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ of every sin. And God has forgiven every man, woman, and child from eternity past to eternity present who will place their faith and trust in him. He's forgiven every sin. But there's more. Here's the last thing. God gave you an indescribable future. Like how does Paul close out the end of verse 30? He says, for those he foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be the firstborn so that he could be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he called, he also justified. But get this, this is, it still gets better. Those who he justified, he also glorified. And can I point your attention to, it's in the past tense. Like right now, if I feel down on the mat, if I'm discouraged, if I'm disappointed, if I'm reeling and grieving because of some tragedy, God looks at me and says, he or she's glorified. Not that they will be glorified, though that's from our perspective, that God, I'm longing for that day. We have some in this room that have lost family members. I shared a God at Work video of that last week. And every person that I've ever talked to, including myself, who's lost family members, it makes me long more for the day when I'll be glorified. But I love how that's in the past tense, along with everything else that we looked at, to remind me of the certainty and the security and knowing that I am loved by God. Can I share with you something you don't know or you, you know and maybe you don't want to be reminded of? Your retirement funds, no matter how little or how great, are not 100% certain. I'm reminded of that all the time. I was in southwest Florida from 2007 to last year. I saw what the market did to people. People who were millionaires one minute and totally applying for jobs the next. We know that material stuff's not certain. And as much as uncertainty is in the world, I look at this passage of Scripture and I said, man, here's what's certain. What's certain is who I am in Jesus and what awaits me for all of eternity. And it's so certain that God views it as though it's already happened. I mean, I think of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation 21. Because as I look at this idea of glorified and I look at all the other verbs that we looked at this morning that illustrate how much God loves us, man, I see there's absolutely no allowance for me to think this morning that I can sin my way out of God's grace. That I can have absolute security and certainty in knowing that my relationship with Jesus Christ is secure when I look at it from God's point of view. It's no purgatory. This, I may fall short of being fully conformed to the image of God's Son and after death have, somehow have to have my salvation completed by my own works or somebody else's works on my behalf. No, no, that goes against everything. Wait a minute, I've been given a destiny. I've been chosen. I've been called. I've been justified, forgiven. I've been glorified. And here's the day 
man, that we all long for, is it not? Where John closes out Revelation, before he gets to 22, he says in 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He says to John, John, I want you to write this down. This you can take to the bank. It is done. I love it when people are concise, right? about It's done. Here's why it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give the spring of water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Listen to me when I read verses 29 and 30. I'm off if I'm drawing some conclusions. Well, if God's done that for me and and God's been that much of an initiator, then that means he's also sending people to hell. I don't see one verse in the Bible who says that. And that's wrong. But when I look at this passage of Scripture and the way that the Holy Spirit intended the way Paul wanted his hearers to hear is, hey, once again, why can you be a champion in Christ? Because your salvation is secure. It can't be broken. So often we want to look at it and say, man, I don't know if I have the faith to believe anymore. I don't know if I have the trust to believe anymore. I'm not sure that God is good. And if I'm looking at salvation from only my standpoint, it's going to break. But God wants to say, wait a minute, when you can't, I have. The greatest security that we can ever know in this life, and the greatest security that we will celebrate for all of eternity, is that God loves you and God loves me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I don't know if you're here today and you came in these doors and maybe you were like, man, I'm doubting a bunch of stuff. And this morning, what God wanted you to hear and be reminded of, be encouraged in, maybe you're convicted that you have allowed to not be at the forefront of your mind is how much you're loved by God. And maybe right now you just need to call out to him and say, God, forgive me for forgetting that, man, I'm loved by you. And the way that I'm loved by you blows my mind. Like I love Romans 11, 33. Just listen to this as you're just contemplating what we talked about. We're at the end of chapter 11. Where Paul, from 9, chapter 9 to 11, is all talking about God's sovereignty, which just blows our mind because we can't fully understand it. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable. In other words, beyond understanding are his ways. God, we'd have nothing to do but just simply to praise you. 
That needs to be our response today for followers of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to look at me. Because here's what God wants for you. I believe that you are here because God wants you to understand how much he loves you. And right now you can call out to God and say, God, would you forgive me of my sin, forgive me of trying to live a life on my own that can gain your acceptance. For the first time or maybe the hundredth time, my eyes are finally opened to realize how much you love me and I'm placing my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. You can do that right now in your seat. But man, when we walk out of those doors here in a few minutes... I want us to be reminded and to celebrate and to relish in and to wrap ourselves up in and to pick ourselves up off the map because the Holy Spirit had us in the corner this morning and was yelling encouragement and maybe whispering this morning, God loves you.